Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. We're going to continue, and there are some uh, wages going on, I think, seeing if I will go exactly an hour and keep my word or not. So, um... If you open up to the book of Acts, it's really exciting to see you all here. Thanks for being here. And for those of you who are at home, please know we love you and care for you. And so glad that you're still joining us online. And I hope that uh, you will be encouraged. And as we worship the Lord, not only through our singing, but now um, digging into the word uh, of God here. In Acts chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 32. And we're going to go through chapter 5, verse 11. So let's dig in. I'm going to read through this, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Read through chapter 5, verse 11. Acts 4, 32. Now the full member of those, or full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young, man, the young men rose, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. After an interval about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Hopefully that didn't keep anybody away from coming this morning. Um, When we look at this passage, I've entitled this uh, sermon today, United in the Lord. Really, we see two different things going on in this section. The first is this um, this uh, description of what's going on in the early church during this time. 
as the apostles continue to give testimony of the resurrection of Jesus, understand, again, this is critical. We just read it and say, oh, yeah, the resurrection of Jesus. No, this is claiming Jesus to be the Messiah. This is what they were had given their life to. Uh, they had followed Jesus, and Jesus said he was the Messiah. Um, others, witnesses, had seen Jesus die. He was crucified. There were stories going abroad. And now they were giving witness that Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they were continuing to tell the story that Jesus is the Messiah. He's alive. He has been resurrected. And so as they continue to do that, we see this the, the, the heart and mind, this description here, it's the total connected, connectedness. It, it's the total dedication that the, the church, the early church had of total mind, of total heart, meaning that they were together. Um, sometimes when we read this passage, it gives us a little bit of uneasiness because it may cause some guilt in us as we read about how they... Uh, how they sold all they had and they gave away. And it didn't say that they sold everything that they had. When we look at the text, let's look at it really clearly. First, verse 32 says they were of one, one heart and soul. Again, the total dedication and the complete devotion to God. God was that rock. The, God was the one that they committed their lives to. And in so doing, it's, it's Jesus that brings them together in that heart and soul. And so that no one said of things that belonged to him, it was his own, but they had everything in common, meaning they viewed their stuff as not their own, which would be wise for us to do too. You've heard me preach this almost every January for the last 18, 19 years stewardship. Stewardship means that I don't own it. It's God's. But that God has put me in charge of it. And I, I want to be good stewards of what he has given me. That should be our same mindset today. Do we struggle with that? Yes, I struggle with that. Because I like what I have and I don't want my kids damaging it or I don't want somebody stealing it. But who owns it? It's a good reminder for us. Who owns your 501k or whatever retirement you may be lacking now? God owns it. Remember, the mindset is uh, all that we have as the body of Christ, it's not mine. It's God's, right? And it would be good for us to have that same one heart, one soul. So we see in verse 33, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I love how, how Dr. Luke describes this, great power and great grace. These two great things are key as we look at our own lives. When we look at how God works, when we've seen God work, his great power and go, what goes along with his power is amazing grace his great grace. And we see evidence of that of each day. You and I got up this morning, that's evidence of God's grace. The fact that we were able to stand up and walk, the, able, the ability to be able to smell, to be able to enjoy the rays of the sun, to be able to speak, to be able to hear, all those things are acts of grace. And we see that God's grace was greatly upon 
this group of people, and it was evidenced by the way they were treating one another and loving one another and the actions of the apostles and others. And it's, it's shown in this because they are looking and viewing one another as one. That can only be attributed by God's grace. Because when I look at others in my own flesh, and my own blood, through my own eyes, I don't see them through love. I probably view them more through selfishness and sin, the sinful nature, all right? But it's God's grace that allows us to be able to see others in such a loving, gracious way that Jesus does. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. And then it goes to explain that many were owners of land or houses and they sold them and they brought the proceeds of what was sold. What that's doing, it's, it's laying the foundation of what's to come. Dr. Luke is a good story writer. And doing that, he is laying the foundation of somebody selling their land. And so we're going to see a contrast here now between somebody who does it well and somebody who does it poorly. And so we're going to, he gives us a little hint as we move forward in what he is writing. And so as they, brought, as they sell their houses and land and they bring the proceeds uh, before the apostles' feet, they, it was distributed as was needed. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, Barnabas. Barnabas is now going to be mentioned uh, 23 more times, 22 more times. He's mentioned 23 times in the book of Acts. Barnabas becomes a key figure as Luke will continue to write this letter. And so this is the first time we hear about Barnabas, and it won't be the last, though. He's going to be a big part of the gospel message continuing to be proclaimed. Barnabas gives us a little bit of a background, all right? He is a Levite, he's a native of Cyprus, and he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's our good example Let's look at our bad example, Ananias and Sapphira. Here's a husband and wife. They sell a piece of property. It says verse 1 of chapter 5, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. We look at that. And if you just look at that section, you will miss something significantly. Many people will read that section and, and, and they say, well, wasn't it okay for them to hold back some? Yes, it is okay to hold back some. But what they are doing is they're deceiving. So evidently, as Dr. Luke is writing for us, there's part of the picture that we don't get here. And so he's kind of building this suspense for us as we read it, that Ananias and Sapphira are going to come and make themselves appear very, very holy. Like they are bringing the proceeds from the whole amount, all right? They're, they're going to lie. Hey, this is what we did. And this is, we sold our land and this is all of our money from that land. We know that because of what the text tells us later. It's not bad to say, hey, I'm going to do something for the Lord and, and I'm going to hold back this amount and I'm gonna, I'm, I want to give this amount. Again, understanding we need to be obedient to the Lord. As the Lord directs us, this, this section needs to help guide us in our thinking and our belief that we need to be obedient to the Lord no matter what he asks of us. 
in doing that, that will look different for every person in every circumstance and situation. It's going to be different. The Holy Spirit is active and at work here. And the text is going to help us to see that the Holy Spirit is not just a God, but is God. And Dr. Luke helps us to see that. And so we need to listen to the Spirit of God, knowing and believing that it truly is God that's working in us. And so they bring part of this. They lay it at the apostles' feet. But Peter has been and continues to be an instrument of God, being used by God, and he knows something's up. Something smells fishy here. All right. So verse 3, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? A couple things. First, it's Satan's work. Peter calls it out. Peter calls, who's at fault here? Satan is the one. He is the father of lies. And, and, and I don't know about you. Have you ever lied before? I've lied before. I'm not proud of it. I hope I don't ever again. Um, we can get into the debate about white lies and all that. We're not going to do that today. But you've probably lied. Aren't you glad that God didn't strike you dead? I'm thankful for that. But when we lie, what we do is we give in to what the father of lies has encouraged us to do. Satan has brought this before Ananias and Sapphira and has said, here, here's a way for you to look good. We see it from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. And we see it played out all throughout history. Satan desires not for our good, but for our destruction. And so here, Ananias, you, Satan has filled your heart. It reminds me of another story in the Old Testament when we see Cain and Abel. And when we see Cain is uh, raging and upset with his brother Abel. And God warns him and says, Cain, beware, be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. Satan is there ready to take captive of you. And we know that Cain allowed that. And he went on to kill his brother. Here, Ananias has been filled with the lies of Satan, and he has lied not to man, but he has lied to the Holy Spirit. And we know that because of what is said in verse 4. He's lied to Holy Spirit, and then um, Peter says, you have not lied to man, and the end of verse 4, you've not lied to man, but to God. Again, bringing the connection here that the Holy Spirit is God. And for those who do not believe that in the Trinity, this gives us a very clear understanding of the apostles' teaching in the, in the beginning of the church that there is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And the triune God is critical in our understanding and our theology. Verse 4, he says, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own possession or your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Um, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Meaning you had the right to do whatever you wanted to do, but why have you come up with this lie? Have you ever asked yourself that when you've tried to deceive someone or even deceive yourself? Why, why would I say that? Or why would I do that? It's good for us to ask that, to get to the heart of the issues. 
Maybe it's because of your insecurity. Maybe you're trying to impress somebody. Maybe it's just because you've walked far from God and you, it, it's hard to hear the spirit of God working with you, working in you. I would challenge us that most of the time, I believe when we lie, it's because of our own insecurities that we're not resting in, in the promises of God and, and we, have to, we feel like we've got to take control of that. And so here we see this lie, and ultimately he's lied not to man, but he's lied to God. When Ananias heard these words, verse 5, he fell down and he breathed his last, and great fear came among all who heard of it. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine seeing that? That here is this guy, he brings his money, and Peter's like calls him on the carpet and says, listen, dude, you, you've lied. And saying, you're going to die. And boom, there he is. Okay, so the rest of the story, we know his wife comes in. All right, she, about three hours, she doesn't know what's going on. So she comes in and says, where's my husband? What's going on? And Peter's like, can I ask you a question? How, mu how much did your land sell for? And she said, such and such price. Oh, Okay. Why have you gone in with your husband to lie and try to deceive God? And so he says in verse 9, Peter says to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? And this reminds me of 1 Corinthians 10.9 about the testing. And Paul talks about this to the, to the early church in Corinth which his reference goes back to the book of Numbers. And so if you want to do a little research, look at the book of Numbers, Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. And it talks about the impatience of the nation of Israel and how they're wandering and they become impatient with Moses and with God and they start grumbling. And they spoke against God and they spoke against Moses. And ultimately, God starts sending these serpents that start biting the nation of Israel. And people are dying because they were grumbling, because they were impatient with God, the text says. And in doing that, God provides a provision for them to be healed. And so Moses puts a serpent on a staff. And if they look at that serpent after they've been bit, then they can be healed. We're not going to get into the whole context of how all of that works. Let me just say this. This happens after Moses strikes the rock and hits it twice and, and, and Moses is judge and in his judgment, he's, not, he's no longer allowed to enter into the promised land. And so after this, why? Because people were impatient. They were getting mad. They were, get, they were upset with Moses. And here they are again. God provides the water for them. Even through Moses' disobedience, he was supposed to speak to the rock and it was supposed to come forth, but Moses in his anger hits it. Even after that, God's miraculous work of provision again of water in the desert, here the people become impatient. I don't know about you, but I think that applies to us today too. We are very much wanting and desiring our own agenda. And we become impatient to what God is doing and what we can see. We, we want to see it all. And so when we can't see it all, we become impatient. And so we start to test God. That's where this term comes from. And so when we do that, 
we, we need to take a step back and we need to start looking at our hearts and we need to look and say, do I trust God to be in total control and am I, again, one heart, one mind committed and devoted to him? Or do I want my agenda? Do I want my plan to take place? As we walk through the end of this, we see that uh, Sapphira immediately dies. She goes out and is buried with her husband. And notice verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. It, it was a, a, a earth-shattering, a shaking reminder about a few things. One, about the holiness of God and his desire for holiness. Remember, this is the, the beginning of God's living organism called the church. And as the church is beginning, God wants to make it very clear that the church is to be holy, distinct, to be set apart, just as the promise and the call to Israel was, so the call to the church is in following Jesus to be holy and distinct and set apart from the rest of the world. And when you're not, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father says, there is judgment. You need to know that I see and know all things. You're not going to get away with this. When we look at the application of this for our lives, because I have seven minutes, l let me give this to you. I, I think it does a couple of things. First, um, the example of Christian leadership. I, I think this helps us to understand we, there are some who have been called as Christian leaders to be an example. You say, well, I don't wanna be a Christian leader. If you follow Jesus Christ, you are called to be a leader in some way, shape, or form. And in doing so, we model a certain behavior or a certain attitude. And so there's a call and there's a responsibility for each of us as, as Christian leaders to set the example. There's also a motivation, there should be a motivation to look at our hearts what is my motivation? Is it to please myself, to make myself look good, or is my motivation to please God? The third aspect of this is God extends both grace and judgment. Think about this. Without judgment, there cannot be grace. Now, we know that God, in his perfect standard, he is just meaning the scales are always equal for God. He doesn't weigh them unevenly. His scale of judgment is pure and it's right. And so when God judges, he has every right to do so. But God also extends grace. We see that in our lives. My life is full of God's grace. I don't deserve what I have. What I deserve is an eternity in hell away from God forever because I've sinned, because I've disobeyed. But because God and his great mercy and his grace, he's extended to me and to you wonderful blessings and wonderful gifts. And so should we approach the life that God's given us with motivation to please myself or to please others? 
Are we supposed to please God or man? Ultimately, it leaves us to this. God calls us to live in holiness. How will you live in holiness this week? As we are united in the Lord, individually and as the body of Jesus Christ, we are called to live life in holiness. So in that holiness, it's not by following a list of laws and regulations and rules. God's word is given given to us because he loves us. Because he says, this is what I know is best for you. So in those guidance, in, in the times where he says, hey, don't do this or do pursue this. In doing that, we pursue holiness. We pursue Jesus. Why? Because he loves us. And we know he loves us. And we can take confident, confidence that as we do what he tells us to do, he will stay true to his word. He will fulfill his promises. So we are united with Christ and we are united with the church as we live life pursuing holiness. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand or I won't ask you to uh, put on uh, the chat if you're holy or not. We are holy. We stand declared right before God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us but I have a lot of impurity in my life. And because of that, God continues to refine me. And then in that refinement, I can either approach God with thinking that I've got it figured out, I can do it, or I can approach God with humility, looking at God and saying, God, thank you. Thank you for extending grace to me. Help me to learn. I'm sorry for failing to live up to your standard. Would you help me? to continue to keep pursuing you. We have a great God who loves us dearly. And we see through the text, while this is, this is a dramatic event and it brings great fear and it should bring fear to our lives too, as we see a perfect God, but also know in that judgment, he also extends grace. And so may we walk with him and may that motivate us to walk with him. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for your care. Thank you that in our lives, we, at times, we can still see your judgment. It may not happen the way we want it or how we want it, but your word tells us very clearly that your judgment is coming upon this world. And Lord, in looking and viewing your judgment coming upon this world, we see the apostles and, and the writers of your word, Lord, those who append your words, Lord, they were in fear and in trepidation. They were, they, were, they were awed because of your judgment that was coming is very real and it's swift. And so, Lord, may we pause and Help us to realize that your judgment is not anything to play with. You see it all. You know it all. And so may, we, may you help us, Lord, and, and through your spirit, may we not lie to your spirit as you guide and direct us. May we listen to your spirit and may we obey you, Lord. May we pursue holiness, knowing that we can never go wrong as we pursue you as we are united together with you, Lord. So help us to love you more this day, this week. Help us to love others 
And as your spirit guides us and directs us and how we can, how that can be manifested out in our lives, I pray that you would help us to be honest with you and with others and help us to love one another the way you intend us to. Lord, may your blessing be upon um, these that have gathered here and those who have gathered online. May your hand be upon them to guide them and direct them. And Lord, may you allow your light, Jesus Christ, to continue to shine through us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.